It's time for another episode of Dynasty Oasis Podcast. Here are your hosts, Matt Newts and Josh Adkins. Welcome to the number one ranked podcast on the planet, Dynasty Oasis. My name is Matt Newts, at Nasty Newts on Twitter. With me tonight, as always, Joshua Adkins at Dynasty Oasis and writer for DynastyNerds.com. What's up, Josh? Not a lot. Uh, I, I wish that was true. Not that uh, we don't well, have a few listeners, but uh, that's I sort never of said it was this planet. <laughs> well, it's that's sort of what we're aiming for. So it's you know <laughs> you, you got to sort of dress for the job that you want, not the job you have, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, I've heard that we have a pretty big following on Pluto. Uh, I know science kind of isn't quite sure if it's a planet or not. I like to think Pluto's a planet, and I like to think we're the number one podcast there. Celestial so. dwarf, but I'm still glad we're the number one podcast on Pluto. That's awesome. Uh, on today's show, we're going to be talking a little bit about the playoff matchups. Basically, each of us have a uh, list of five players who we think can move their uh, dynasty value with uh, good or bad playoff performances. Um, and then we're going to do you know, kind of a 2021 uh, preview way too early, however you want to look at it, dynasty rankings conversation, kind of um, where Newts has players uh, higher than I maybe do or lower than I maybe do or maybe where we're higher or lower uh, between the two of us uh, from general consensus. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. I'm excited to kind of just have a conversation, make this a little less formal and just mm-hmm. kind of talk through our rankings and see where we differ from each other, see where we differ from the community. Um, all those things are useful. Um, when you take our advice, you know, make sure you're not only taking our advice. You kind of want to crowdsource fantasy stuff. And um, if we're vastly different from everyone else, we're going to try to recognize that and tell you the why we're different. Yep. Um, and, and we'll try to justify it. Not just, I like him. He's cool. I like him a lot. That's <laughs> why he's my third ranked running back. We're going to try to give you a reason for why we feel that way. Absolutely. Um, And then we were kind of talking pre-show about what we wanted to do on Monday. We are going to break down kind of the what happened in terms of these uh, uh, playoff matchups and if there was any big dynasty takeaways to uh, to have on Monday. Um, But kind of the bulk of our show is we thought it'd be fun to do. uh, Essentially, we're going to know the top 24 picks of the NFL draft after this weekend. And we thought it'd be fun to essentially mock draft in the NFL draft order for those teams but we're just going to pick dynasty prospects. So you won't hear offensive linemen or defensive players here, uh, you know, and that's maybe going to lead to some picks that wouldn't necessarily happen in real life, but it'll be fun to sort of uh, discuss these landing spots and kind of still give you a little bit of um, how we're feeling on these rookie prospects as well. Yeah, absolutely. It should be a fun exercise. Um, I I love doing any sort of a mock draft after just anything with the NFL draft. It gets me excited. So um, even though it's kind of, you know, a weird idea on paper, it should. The process will be good for just talking about these incoming rookies, what we think they're good at and why we think they would be a good fit for these teams. Even though it's more than likely we may only get one or two of these landing spots right, if that, it's still, I think, a useful exercise and uh, should be fun for everyone involved. Yep, so that's uh, an exciting thing to look forward to. Um, I think without any further ado, Newt, so let's just get right into the show. Uh, We're calling this segment Playoff Stock Watch. We've done uh, stock watches in the past in terms of players that either we're expecting to move up or that have moved up or down for that matter. Um, so yeah, playoff stock watch. Each of us is going to give you five names. Um, Newts, if I hit on somebody you've got or vice versa, go ahead and let me know and we'll kind of talk about them together. So who's your number five? 
Uh, I went with uh, Gabriel Davis. Seems like a rather obvious uh, a guy to watch for this weekend, especially when you look at Buffalo's wide receiver core right now being kind of banged up. Diggs and Cole Beasley, I believe, yep. are both questionable. I, I got to imagine they're both going to tough it out and play. But regardless, I think Gabriel Davis has a big role in this game, and I think his role with this offense will continue to grow. He's proven to me that he's a dynamic wide receiver, and I think he's – the second most uh, valuable wide receiver in uh, Dynasty on the Buffalo Bills right now, and I think uh, the world's going to kind of catch up to that after this week. Yeah, well, he's obviously a podcast favorite because he's actually on my list too, so I'll talk about him here quick too. Um, Made another absolutely sensational catch in in Week 17. Uh, He seems to do this once a week uh, at some level of the defense, make a big play. Um, You know, Obviously, Josh Allen is playing at an MVP-type level right now, uh, certainly this is the type of moment he's never been tested in. Um, but if he fails, I'm pretty confident it's not going to be because Gabe Davis, you know, let him down or couldn't pick up the slack if Diggs or Beasley uh, can't end up going here. Um, I kind of think he and Darnell Mooney, who I'll just kind of mention as an honorable mention here, kind of fall into the same category in this regard of um, they, I could see them jumping into the next tier of rookie wide receivers. We're going to talk rankings in a little bit. And I've got, Uh, Those guys tiered just slightly below kind of some of the higher end draft capital guys that didn't quite work out this year. You're talking kind of Henry Ruggs, uh, Jalen Rager, you know, Michael Pittman, who had a pseudo breakout, but then, you know, cooled back off as T.Y. Hilton got going. Um, I think he could jump one more tier and uh, he's pretty solidly inside of my top 100 right now. But I think there's still room to grow before uh, the 2020 season is fully closed. Indeed. I, uh, I'm i a big fan. I'm going to be buying. And uh, as much as seeing him have a great playoff run would be fun, it would also you know make it harder to buy. So I'm yeah. kind of torn because I'm already a believer, but I think he makes the rest of the world a believer. Yeah, and, and this is the rare situation where I don't actually have shares. So I'm kind of with you. I hope he falls on his face in the playoffs because um, I want to go buy some shares. Who's your number four? I went with uh, another guy we both love, Antonio Gibson. I don't want to talk too much about him right now because I think he's someone worth discussing um, in a little bit more depth when we get to our ranking stuff. But needless to say, I think both of us are probably higher on him than the consensus, the community. But uh, another guy who I'm already just a huge fan of, and um, I'm sure a lot of people are, you know, like him, but I I think he – has the opportunity to show why I feel that he belongs near the top of this running back class and dynasty. So I, I hope to see that. Yeah. Well, and we can talk more about him a little bit later, but I, I'm with you. He has um, everything that I look for in a um, high end running back. Now I don't play solely in PPR and I really don't, I don't think it makes a huge difference. The types of guys that I'm looking for are the types of guys that can split out and play wide receiver, run legitimate routes, catch the ball out of the backfield. Those are the types of things that Antonio Gibson can do. And frankly, had Darius Geis not gone and, you know, screwed things up at the start of the season, we may have seen a lot more of that skill set from Antonio Gibson than uh, was asked of him this year. He's the exact prototype of what type of player I'm looking for at running back. And I think, you know, this is a chance for him to uh, to show that to the world. Absolutely. Uh, my number four is also a running back, a guy who had a very hot close to the season. And I think, you know, we've talked plenty about, so I won't, you know, go too deep into how soft the schedule was, but David Montgomery, 18 more or more standard points uh, every week after the week 11 bye. He played Green Bay twice, though, uh, Detroit, Houston, Minnesota, and Jacksonville. So 
uh, very beatable defense. And because of that, I feel like the Sharps, the the people who kind of are really following this thing closely, haven't actually raised Montgomery's value to the to the range that his age and production level would sort of indicate. Um, but this week, the Saints and pretty much everybody they play going forward, if they can get past the Saints, which I think is a big ask, but, uh, you know, they they can do it. Um, you know, I don't feel like the Saints are that type of team. They're going to be down a couple safeties, but that front seven is legit, I think, up until a couple weeks ago, and I forget who it was, but somebody uh, was the first one in years now to, to go over 100 yards rushing against uh, New Orleans. Um Chicago feels dependent on David Montgomery. And so I feel like if they're going to win, if they're going to have a chance in this game, it's going to be because he performed. Um, and I think that can push him up into a tier where he uh, realigns with his 2019 backfield mates in, in Josh Jacobs and Miles Sanders, who came out of that draft as well. Um, certainly he'd be near the bottom of that tier of players for me. Um, but I think that's where he can go still with, with a tough matchup here. And if he can perform, I think it'll say a lot about where he's come in the past, uh, you know, three to four months. Well, here's where I admit in the 2019 rookie draft time period, David Montgomery was my RB1 going into that draft. I liked him more than Jacobs. I liked him more than Sanders. I was probably on an island then, and I totally gave up on him last year. And I, <laughs> I'd never really bought back in. I've been on agreeing with you pretty much all year that uh, sell off of this, sell off of this. I'm selling, selling, selling. And I, I still mostly feel that way, but this is his chance to to get me back to where I was excited about when I was evaluating him initially. Like his run has been, you know, you can't fault him too much for the schedule because good players do that against right. bad teams. Yep. Uh, if he can do it in this game, that would mean a lot to me. Yes. And, and obviously, you know, he had those fresh legs coming off of basically he got like three or four weeks off in the middle of the season. Um, and then it coincided perfectly with this string of bad opponents. Um, there's question marks, but if he can, he can do what, you know, they've been asking him to do against a better opponent. I think we can all, you know, solidify his value a little bit more to where the production says it should be. Uh, who's your number three? Um, I cheated a little bit and I, I paired these two together. Um, I, I mean, this is kind of dependent on Mike Evans status, but I think sure. there may be an opportunity for the Tyler Johnsons and Scotty Millers of the world to step up in a playoff game and kind of show the world why we both kind of, I, I don't know, how, I guess, how you feel about Scotty, but uh, I know we both like Tyler Johnson. And yep. um, I like this opportunity for the the world to kind of see what I already believe. I think they're both good players. And given an opportunity, their values would go up quite a bit. So uh, I'd like to see them get a chance in a big spot. Yeah, I like the Tyler Johnson one because I do think he has believers out there. I don't know how many believers Scotty Miller has out there. So I don't think a big game would necessarily vault his value. But I think Tyler Johnson having a strong playoff close, especially if they're missing Evans, is is a guy you could see spike up. And that was sort of my thinking as well about Antonio Brown, who is my number three. I debated doing a double name here, too, and including Godwin. But considering he's already my wide receiver nine, uh, I just sort of feel like his his 2021 value is much more tied to wherever he lands in 2021, if it's a new spot at all, or if he's back in Tampa Bay. Um, he's still only 24. I think pe most people understand he's a good player. So uh, I digress from Godwin. Antonio Brown, to me, is the guy that can move way up. I look at where I have him in my rankings. Uh, he's wide receiver 62, and that's all the way down in tier eight. Um, if he can continue to prove in the playoffs as, he, as he's done the last three weeks, um, he scored four touchdowns over the last three weeks of the regular season. Um, I think, you know, that would to me say I kind of have to begin ranking him near some of these players with a similar 
production profile. I know he's a huge headache and he's a volatile asset, but I mean, Julio Jones or Antonio Brown, they're relatively the same age. The mileage is actually lower on AB, um, you know, and kind of with some of these speculative, uh, we haven't really seen it yet. Wide receivers, frankly, his cousin Marquise, who's having a hot close to the season, but has been all over the place all season. I just think that jumps him up into a place where he's closer to a wide receiver three in dynasty value. And that's a jump of like three tiers for me. So, um, obviously it's going to matter whether Godwin comes back or does not, but I think Antonio Brown on a national stage, being able to show that he still has it, um, for right or wrong is going to move his value into a place where, uh, you know, he's a top 100 player again. Yeah. I advised when the Tampa Bay Bucks signed him that this is the high point of his value. Sell yeah. now if you can. And I still stand by that advice. Like I stand by the reasoning for that advice. You know, it looks like I may have been wrong. Um, you probably get more for him this offseason than you could have gotten then. But well, um, I'm still going to be a fader of Antonio Brown no matter what. I just don't think this is something that's going to last. I still feel that way. But, uh, you know, it's gone good so far. But maybe well, the, it can go through next year. I just doubt it. The process of, of advocating selling when you did is, is, is still a good process. We don't know the one out of eight that are going to work out this way. Oh, you know, sure. Josh Gordon didn't work out this way. Martavius Bryant, which I was somebody who chased that two or three times down the road. Um, they don't all work out this way. And we don't even know that this one's going to stay uh, copacetic forever. So I think the advice at the time is still the right advice. It's just now we're getting to a place where he's becoming a little more trustable. And I think the playoffs and, and what he does will, will mean a lot to both his future in Tampa Bay, as well as his future for dynasty managers from a value standpoint. Who's your number two? Yeah, I went, uh, not a guy I believe in, but a guy that's value could really go a lot of different ways based on how he looks in this game. If Mitchell Trubisky can go out and shock the world and beat the New Orleans Saints, he might secure himself that job next year in Chicago, give him another shot. Uh, and quite frankly, in super flex leagues, um, that, would change his value significantly because any starting quarterback needs to be rostered. And to be honest, Mitch Trubisky is a pretty darn good fantasy quarterback. Like he gets point production yep. at a pretty good weekly rate. If he's a starting quarterback, he should be pretty much a starter in super flex leagues. He'd be in my top 24 damn near every week that he's active. So if he wins himself a job, whether it's with the bears or somewhere else with a good performance, I think you can count on Mitch being a starting quarterback somewhere next year. Yeah, you know, I, I debated Mitchell Trubisky. I actually debated, debated uh, Baker Mayfield kind of for the same reason is that in Superflex, them going out and, and proving something in the playoffs, winning a playoff game, securing that job. I mean, I don't think Baker's going anywhere in one year. Mitchell was more on, on a legitimate hot seat. But I think by either of these guys going out and performing well, they can secure a longer runway of being the starting quarterback of whatever team. And so um, I really, you know, definitely debated trying to put a quarterback in here. Those were the, the two that I thought. I never got one in, um, but I'm glad you picked Trubisky. My number two is DK Metcalf. Um, and this one I, I referenced a little bit, I think, on the last show. Maybe it was two shows ago. Um, he's going to have brutal cornerback matchups as we go through the playoffs here. Um, assuming they continue winning, well, regardless, they're, they're going to play the Rams this week, which means he's going to see Jalen Ramsey. Uh, if they win this week, which I think they will, uh, they would more than likely play the New Orleans Saints, and then he'd see Marshawn Latimer. And best case scenario, they end up in Lambeau for the NFC Championship game, and he sees Jair Alexander. 
Um, I think if DK is the player that we all sort of dubbed him to be early in the NFL season, I think he wins and exploits these matchups. Now, that's three of the best corners, cover corners in the entire NFL. It's not going to be an easy ask, but I feel like the first two defenses I mentioned um, in uh, New Orleans and L.A. have just as good, if not better, run defenses than pass defenses. So, um, you know, I'm not going to go with the proverbial let Russ cook line. I'm just going to say Seattle needs to play optimal football against the matchups that are in front of them. And that, to me, is throwing the ball with Russell Wilson and D.K. Metcalf. I feel like if they make it to that Lambeau Field matchup, okay, maybe you consider trying to ram Chris Carson down their throat in the cold weather and so on and so forth. But if they get there, to me, it's going to be because DK Metcalf went out and showed uh, that he's the true elite alpha player that we thought he was the first eight weeks. Um, Unfortunately, in terms of ranks here, I feel like DK only has room to go down if he gets shut out in these matchups. But at the same time, I feel like he can really solidify uh, his standing as a top four dynasty wide receiver. Currently, I have him at number two. We'll talk about that a little little later in the show. Um, but I feel like there's only downward movement here. And I'll real quick just say we've seen Seattle playoff breakout wide receivers before. Uh, we've talked a little bit in the past about Freddie Swaim. So I'm just wondering, is maybe this the next Paul Richardson? Could be, could be. Uh, yeah, that's a situation I probably pay more attention to than I ought to. Um, I, I, I love DK's talent, obviously. I love Tyler Lockett, but I'm just so bored with Seahawks and just the the value fluctuation and the the scheme fluctuation. It's like they everyone's rags on them for running the ball too much, so they overcorrect and then they overcorrect back the other way. And it's yep. just yeah, I agree with you. Get optimal, just you know, try and do both well. Is that too <laughs> much to ask? No, it's not because they can have a power running game and still throw the ball at the optimal rate. Both are necessary, but uh, it's when they pound their head into the wall and stop taking the best passing downs, which is first down out of Russell Wilson's hands, they start playing suboptimal football. Um, you know, listen. Well, doesn't to Jake, it kind of remind you of Mike Zimmer, like the one yes. bad year with Mike DiFilippo where the, he never wanted to run the ball, and now it like made Zimmer obsessed with ob- establish the run. Yep. You got to run the ball eighty-seven times a game. Like, uh, I, I I hate coaches that are too rigid. Uh, you got to be flexible and understand what the best way to win games is, and it's not always going to be the same thing. Yeah, and so in these two matchups, I really think. Uh, They're going to need DK Metcalf to come out and have a hero performance. And I think he will, and that'll solidify uh, what we all think of him. Uh, Who's your number one? I went with Jonathan Taylor. Um, He's been on kind of a meteoric rise the last month. Um, He's, um, you know, obviously had the rough start to the year where we're like, uh, do we need to have a Jonathan Taylor could be a bus conversation? And then, you know, he became the player we thought he was going to be. And if he can keep it going throughout the playoffs, um, if he can upset the Bills, because almost certainly if the Colts are going to have any chance in this game, Jonathan Taylor needs to go out and have a massive, massive performance. And if he does that, I think you're going to see him going in the top three, top four of uh, startup drafts. So there's still a lot to gain for Jonathan Taylor. And um, quite frankly, if he closes this year, on an even stronger note than what he did in the playoffs. Like I may even consider selling him for a ransom. Cause I, I don't think his runways as long as um, a lot of these other rookie backs, if I could flip like a Jonathan Taylor for a Deandre Swift plus, right. I'm going to probably do something like that. 
Yeah, or frankly, if I could flip a Jonathan Taylor for a C.D. Lamb and a pick that's high enough to get a running back this year and replace it that way. Um, That that gets me excited. Yeah, I might do something like that, too. You know, we talked about this on the front end with Jonathan Taylor. We were both advocating, I think, taking him very high. I think I had him at 103. Uh, Maybe it was 104 because I think I had the two wide receivers, uh, both Judy and Lamb, ahead of him. Yeah, it was um, probably similar. Yeah, the point I'm getting to is is we both were advocating and taking him high because the value will still be there in two or three years. And really what you're doing as a Jonathan Taylor manager is looking for when is the value the, the absolute highest, and then that's when you flip him because the workload in college was huge. Um, you know, obviously any running back can be hurt. They're very uh, fungible commodities. So that was sort of our thinking of this going going into it. You may not get higher value than than this, uh, but at the same time, I don't see the value taking a nosedive either. So he's not a guy that I'm like, uh, you have no, you to sell now. Yeah, you don't but, need to rush out the door, but I right. think it's an interesting thought. Like, don't be just automatically opposed to it. Like, there yes. are definitely trades out there that you might get and accept if you offer Taylor that I think would be smart even now. Yep. Nope. I totally agree. Uh, that's, uh, that's a good point. And I'm just flat out excited to see Jonathan Taylor, whether his value can move or not uh, is one thing. I can't wait to watch him in that. That's that's a, a really exciting game. It that is. Buffalo indie game. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that one. Um, Ronald Jones is my number one here. And uh, I had a really hard time coming up with with my number one. I wanted to find somebody who I feel like could really move up or could really fall down. Um, and I felt like that was Ronald Jones, or at least he was the closest version of that. He's currently my RB 33, which makes him a tier six running back. He's kind of ranked alongside guys where I feel like I, I feel about 50, 50 on whether or not they, they're going to be the starter or have the volume that we've come to expect in the previous years, but I can't really predict anything beyond that. Um, so that's like Carson Moster, James Connor, um, essentially guys that I, think could have a major role in 2021, but just don't have the talent to hold off somebody long-term. Rojo, I don't think in the playoffs needs to play all world football, but in order for him to just maintain this role, he can't be the reason they lose. I think if Mm -hmm. if Brady has one of those stare bullets through Ronald Jones moments in the playoffs here, that's it. That's all there is. And I don't see a lot of teams being super excited to bring him in and give him 200 to 300 touches. So this is a make or break uh, off season, I, th- I would say, and a make, a make or break for uh, in the playoffs here for Rojo and his uh, value as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Um, but at the same time, if he comes out and plays well, I think uh, back to Damian Harris, kind of, or not Damian Harris, Sony Michelle a few years ago in that playoff run doing something similar. I think Rojo could do that and jump into that, you know, Zeke Elliott, Kareem Hunt, Austin Eckler type range uh, where he's a top, you know, RB2. He's a top 24 back in Dynasty. Um, so I felt like he was the guy that had the, the most ability to move in either direction, depending upon what we see. That's a really good one there. I wish I would have thought of it because, uh, yeah, I didn't really consider how much potential um negative value he could take like right. i totally agree if if he if he has stone hands and drops three passes or just does fumbles at an inopportune time brady's got enough clout to where he's just yep. gonna say i'm done with this guy See give me someone else and yep. that would crush his value i totally agree so he does have a ton to lose but i do agree he has a lot 
a value gain potential as well. Cause I, I like him as a runner, not the archetype of a running back I'm looking for. I don't no. want many running backs on my teams that are pretty much not going to catch any balls. So he's normally in a void for me, even though I do like his rushing ability quite a bit. Yeah, no. And, and you said it there and kind of the inverse of what I said about Antonio Gibson, we want guys that can catch the ball that can affect the game on all three downs. Um, that's where the big yardage is. Obviously, um, Kamara was one of my first, you know, rookie picks in a draft. So, and, and McCaffrey the same year. So maybe I'm a little bit biased in that regard. Um, but these are the type of players that I want. Roger doesn't really fit that, but you know, I feel like we've seen this Tampa Bay offense really get humming late in the season. I do think Brady comes back. Um, if he is the starter there next year, there's, there's a 15 touchdown season waiting for a running back who wants to, to take a stranglehold on that job, I believe. Right, and we probably shouldn't um, ignore guys like him. Yeah, uh, we may discredit them in our rookie drafts to a point where we'll never own them. But um, like, I could see a path with Ronald Jones being like a Chris Carson. I just right. don't see upside in that top tier. So I typically am going to have a hard time taking a guy. I can't imagine a way for him being an RB one um, when I'm drafting that early in rounds two. I'll just take guys that you know could develop into a role. I'm not as picky, but um, in, you know, the middle of a first round, I want guys that I see the upside of being, you know, a league winner at some point. Yep, absolutely. Um, so that was our playoff stock watch. Is there anything else sort of uh, matchups this weekend that you're excited to see or anything that was playoff related uh, before we dive in, wild card weekend related before we dive into rankings here? I'm just surprised how much more excited I am for the AFC games than the <laughs> NFC. The AFC games are all awesome. Like those are my one, two and three most anticipated games of the weekend. Yeah, that Baltimore Tennessee game is going to be a lot of fun to see that rematch and then Obviously, what does Cleveland come out and look like uh, with no Kevin Stefanski? Obviously, that's been a huge blow, and it's kind of just, you know, it feels very fitting for Cleveland, and I just, I kind of feel bad for them. I hope they win anyways. I'm kind of rooting against the Steelers regardless of this game or future games, but uh, yeah, I I hope Cleveland can overcome, but just what a stroke of bad luck. I know. Uh, Really, really unfortunate. yeah, I agree. I, I I hate to see it. We're both big Stefanski fans, and we wish he was the Vikings coach, I would assume. Um, yeah. So, yeah, tough luck there. Tough luck to the Browns fans out there that have been long-suffering. Uh, hopefully you find a way to pull it off. I think we're all bored with the Steelers. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, then let's dive into 2021 rankings conversation. So we both have been kind of working on these off and on for three weeks to kind of get you know a feel for it, let it settle once, and then – come back to it. Oh my gosh, I got to move this around again. Um, we've kind of gotten to a place where we feel pretty good about our 2021 rankings. And so we just kind of wanted to uh, just have an open conversation about who was tough to rank. You know, who are you too high on? Uh, why do you hate this guy, Newts? Uh, that I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask that question a few times today. Um, but it should be a lot of fun. Where, where I kind of wanted to start it with is that we decided we're going to do tier-based rankings. Um, why don't we just sort of talk about the idea of tier braced rankings and sort of what the value of doing that is as opposed to just making linear ranks. Yeah, I think it's uh, um, more important when you talk about dynasty than, than just like a redraft season rank or whatever, but um, you can't just assume because I have 
a guy ranked eighth and a guy ranked ninth that it wouldn't take much to move one for the other. Like there are certainly tier breaks or spots where the value from this guy to the next guy on our list is a pretty significant enough gap to where this at least helps indicate. Yeah. It's not just a, a pick your poison between the two. It's, I see a reason for putting these guys in different tiers. So um, I think it's just a really good way to pause and um, actually look at rankings and say, Oh, okay. I kind of understand this a little bit better. Or both these guys are in the same tier just because you have them four spots higher. Uh, maybe it's just a personal preference thing. Right. Well, that's what I was going to say. I think it really increases the usability factor of the ranks when you when you're able to give them to somebody else and go, listen, this is my tier four of wide receiver. Um, mm-hmm. I'm essentially saying if there's nobody left in tiers three, two and one and you need a wide receiver. Yes, I would take the top guy off that list that's still available. But if there's somebody further down the list who you have a personal preference for or whose age or production profile matches up better with what your team needs, that you then have the freedom to feel good about that decision. Just because I have, say, uh, Jalen Rager ranked over Julio Jones, uh, they're in the same tier. And there's, I can tell you right now, it'd be about a 50-50 in terms of which teams would I want Julio for and which teams would I want Jalen Rager for. I have to make a declaration right. in terms of where I put them. But by grouping them in tiers that way, I'm not telling you that you have to take Jalen Rager or Henry Ruggs or some of these guys ahead of Julio Jones. I'm simply saying value-wise, this is where I put them. But, you know, fit this to your league settings, fit this to uh, your team construct and how you're building your team. Yeah, my own rankings wouldn't even be canon for me in my own leagues. Sure. I'm, I may go against my own rankings in a in a league just because team situation matters. If I'm a rebuilder, I'm going to rank someone higher than someone I, you know, have above. Like for example, if I'm 2 and 14 this year, that's yeah. I have Chris Godwin ranked ahead of Ayuk, but I would trade Chris Godwin for Ayuk in a heartbeat on a bad team. Yes. Um, so you, you got to take it all into your own situation. Nope. I think that's, that's really well put. Um, so I guess maybe let's just get into where do you feel like we're off from, from consensus? Maybe where do you feel like I'm off con- from consensus? I think we just take it position by position and just kind of go through it. Uh, so starting at quarterback, who are some of the more challenging names to rank? Um, who do you feel like we're off base on and who do you feel like maybe we're higher on, uh, general consensus. You don't have to take all of those at once. Just maybe pick one and, and we'll go through it. Yeah, I thought quarterback was the the spot we were maybe the most boring at. I, like yeah. I didn't see anything where it's like, oh wow, this is crazy that you have this guy here. Or mm-hmm. where why do you have this guy seven spots lower than me? Um I was not quite as willing to put Justin Herbert as QB2 as you. Yeah. But you could totally talk me into it. And there are leagues where I would take Justin Herbert, you know, second. So kind of like our previous conversation, apply it to your own league and it, your own opinion might change. So I, I, I just have Josh Allen too, and you're Herbert. So I think we can easily argue either side if we wanted to. Well, and, and obviously they're both in the same tier for us. So really the guy right. in that, that tier that's significantly different is I have Dak Prescott in that tier. You don't. Um, I think what's in terms of Herbert, 
Um, I feel like you talked about overcorrections a little bit earlier. I don't know that there was many people lower on Justin Herbert than I was. I did have him over Jalen Hurts, um, but I had Jordan Love and obviously Tua and Burrow over him. I basically said he was a borderline first-round pick, and, and boy, was I wrong. So maybe that's almost me overcorrecting from what was a bad take, you know, six months ago. Sure. I think as this sort of settles down and, you know, the new hotness wears off a little bit, maybe we see some things out of Josh Allen in the postseason. I heard on Twitter today there's rumors of Deshaun Watson potentially asking for a, for a trade out. Yeah, and that's going to be really interesting. Yep, uh, so if, if he got someplace, I could see – what I'm saying is I think there's three or four guys right now that I feel like I'd have no problem moving over Herbert but just right this moment, the way I feel, yeah, I feel like he's the number two. Um, I think the other guys that are important, our tiers basically track out with the exception of of two names. I have Jared Goff and Carson Wentz still in a tier with uh, Tua, with Jalen Hurts, uh, Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins. Um, you've dropped them down into a tier with Mitchell Trubisky and Dan Jones. Um do you think that they won't have jobs next year? I mean, Goff, I feel like, is gonna have to have that LA job for as long as that contract runs. Don't you? You're probably right. I am. It's more my way of just saying, I don't like this player (laughs) at all. Yeah. Um, I totally understand why he should be ranked higher. It's just kind of my little cheap shot at him for how much he hurt my feelings this year. Well, yeah. So maybe that one's not fair, but I think most people can see through that and just realize that's just a personal attack. But (laughs) once I'm just not, sure what the hell is going to happen with him so I'm, I'm hedging a little bit here um his value will either go up a few tiers or go down a few tiers once the dust kind of settles so i feel like i'm just kind of hedging a little bit right now I, as soon as a clear starting job opens up for him which i think it will he'll yep. probably be in the matt stafford matt ryan range something like that until okay, so he'll jump he, back up but you. with yeah. the ability to elevate with good performance then he'll probably climb even another tier okay absolutely uh do you have anything else on on quarterback otherwise otherwise i think let's kick it over to tight end quarterback it felt like tracked out really evenly yeah we kind of touched on watson i just wanted to mention that um if he does get traded it's more yeah. likely than not a good thing for his value yeah i tend to i I got to believe they'd have to really get paid to move him because oh, you would think, but they've done dumber stuff before. That's, <laughs> I almost cussed. That's true. But man, you can't win in the NFL without a quarterback. I know they don't have draft picks, but to me, this would be a move of trying to semi contend this year. And instead of just, you know, take your medicine, be bad for a full year. Uh, you know, I guess if Watson isn't going to put up with that though and wants out, what, well, what let do you me do ask us? you a question since yeah. we're both Vikings fans. <laughs> Say the Texans call Rick Spielman and you're Rick Spielman for this thought experiment. He says, You know, Deshaun really wants out, we don't want to move him, but uh, let me tell you this I'll give you Deshaun Watson for Kirk Cousins, your 21 first pick 14, and your 22 first. What do you say? Yeah, I would do it if I was the Vikings. Absolutely. Yeah, um, and I think I would even throw in a third first rounder if they if it got the deal done. Yep, I've heard a similar thing bandied about with Jimmy Garoppolo and the Niners at twelve plus a first round pick the following year. There's a you know there's a few teams I think that would make that offer. I just don't know how it helps Houston. They're not going to probably get a quarterback at fourteen that within any sort of you know. 
uh, reasonable amount of time can provide. Deshaun. Well, it's not a trade they would want to make. It would take be forced. Deshaun right. Watson forcing their you're hands. You're right. Yeah. No, you're right. Um, so, and if, if their hands forced, I, they'd probably be quite happy to, to get away with that, that type of value. But uh, I guess in terms of him, I wouldn't blame him. I sort of think it's a long shot at this point still. They just paid him a, you know, a small fortune to be there. Now, that doesn't mean he really owes them anything. He, they paid him what he was worth. He's right. an excellent player. Well, and I read that his contract is actually pretty tradable. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I was like 21 and a half or something the first year, and then they're basically good to go on that. So it wouldn't. that's not the reason they wouldn't trade him. I just don't think you trade generational players. But, you know, no, what? I, I agree, but if it's <laughs> – if it's out there, I, I wouldn't be shocked to see just a crazy trade, and I would it'd be so much fun. But uh, we can move on. We kind of got sidetracked there. Um, no, that was a good good conversation. I liked it. Hopefully, there's some meat on that bone because that would uh, it probably fill a whole episode for us. Oh, my gosh, <laughs> that'd be so yeah. much fun to speculate on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, on to tight ends. Um, I think the biggest two that you had were Zacherts and Rob Gronkowski, a couple of guys that I loved in uh, tight end physical graffiti last year, uh, but just felt like they got awfully old, awfully fast. They're tier four tight ends for you. They're tier six for me. Um, do you see bounce backs coming? Do you kind of see a new landing spot for Ertz? Kind of talk about those two guys and why you felt like they belonged in this tier. Yeah, I can imagine um... – both of them falling in my rankings pretty quickly, but I feel like there's enough left there to where they should be under consideration for contenders. Obviously pay attention to what happens with Ertz, but I could see a path where he's like the Colts tight end next year back with Reich. And Mm -hmm. I could see paths for him being pretty darn good again next year. Gronk, maybe I'm a little too high on just because he's Gronk and he's awesome, but (laughs) Um, I, I see your rankings and I honestly probably agree with them is I just think there's more there though. Um, but yeah, I should maybe move them down a little. You're probably right. Well, I didn't think about Zach Gertz to Indianapolis. That would be a phenomenal landing spot, almost regardless of who the, the quarterback is. Now, I think the issue is, uh, they've paid Doyle a little bit of money. My guess is they can get out of that pretty cheaply, but I think they've paid Burton a pretty good sum of money too. Yeah. Um, along with Mo Ali Cox. So is it a need that they really uh, go chasing? No, but I could see Wentz being a target for them, and I could see it being kind of a package deal. They do yeah, have that's... a lot of money coming off the books with yep. Rivers and Brissett. So I think it's something they could probably afford. Um, yeah, and, and they clearly value the tight end position. They keep throwing assets at it and money at it. So um, it makes sense to me. It probably won't happen because, you know, life's not that fun, but. Um, I, I'd like to see it happen. Absolutely. Well, I know you were teasing me already about uh, Adam Troutman pre-show, so I think maybe I'll just defend that one because I have him as a Tier 5 player just to give you some reference. Um, he's ranked alongside guys like Logan Thomas, Evan Ingram, Mike Kosicki, Cole Komet, um, who's obviously another rookie, Irv Smith. Um, and, you know, for me, this one really comes down to it's it's a macro play based on what the Saints uh, gave up in order to get him. Um, sure. I, I really believe in that general manager and that that front office with Mickey Loomis and the guys there. Uh, they gave up basically the rest of their draft to move up to the Minnesota Vikings pick to take him. So obviously I was following that one. It registered in my brain that they gave up like five picks to come up and get this guy. We have seen some really good things from him this year. The stick route uh, that he ran on can't remember if it was Roquan Smith or it was Danny Trevathan, but it was Beth, definitely against the Bears earlier in the season. 
um, for a touchdown. Maybe it was Washington. God, now I'm forgetting. But it was an, an awesome little stick nod route that he ran to the back of the end zone, got wide open. Um, I just like what I've seen from him. He was a positional convert coming into Dayton. So I feel like there's a lot of growth there. He's certainly not the athletic specimen that you sort of, you know, you look around the league. And, and I think I saw a stat like of the top 24 players at the tight end position this year, nobody would have been slower or, or, or everybody would have been faster than Adam Troutman. So certainly there's some concerns. He's just a player that I like, and, and it's a it's a coaching staff and a front office that I trust their evaluation on. So I kind of just wanted to talk about him a second. Well, I actually agree with all of that, and I left my rankings the way they are just to not to tip you off to this question I wanted to ask you, actually okay. involving Adam Troutman. I was curious, um, everything you said I agree with, but why can't we apply those same things to Harrison Bryant? He was drafted by a team that didn't need a tight end. They had just spent money on a tight end, and they had Joku. Um, I don't see a reason why those two shouldn't kind of be in the same tier. Uh, yeah. I like them both quite a bit, um, and we both have them multiple tiers apart. I, I, just, I just saw that and was kind of confused by it. Yeah, well, I think Harrison Bryant's a guy that I maybe do need to move up a little bit. And, you know, you're probably right. In terms of the chasm between the two of them, uh, something's off there. I don't know, though, that it's necessary that Troutman's too high. I think the big difference No, and I'm is, not saying you need to move Troutman yep, down. I yep, just think well, they should be a lot closer. Well, so I think the difference is, though, you asked what the difference is, and I think the difference is draft capital and what, you know, how intentional did this feel? Certainly, uh Cleveland did not going into the offseason think we're going to get a tight end in the draft. We're going to put a lot of stock on that. No, they went out and paid Austin Hooper big, big money. And it just so happened that Harrison Bryant, a player that they liked, kind of fell into their lap in the mid rounds, later rounds of this draft. I believe he was fourth round. Right. Whereas Adam Troutman, the Saints spent a little more draft capital on because they took him in the third round. But they also basically traded a whole bunch of picks just in terms of what they spent to get him, it feels like a much more significant investment to me. And so that's, I think, where the difference is. In terms of what I thought of the two players coming into the NFL, you're right. There's not a huge difference. And considering Harrison Bryant has actually outproduced him pretty significantly, I agree with you that the chasm or the, 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 the gap between them is too big. But I do defend the idea that I like Troutman because of this idea of what the Saints you know, invested there and how intentional this was for them to get this player. Yeah. I didn't mean that to knock Troutman really. I just think we're both under ranking Bryant and I understand there's a clearer path to the main job for Troutman. Jared Cook's old kind of looks like he's uh, best days are certainly behind him. So I can see Troutman as the lead dog next year where Bryant, they're not going to cut, uh, uh, Hooper in the off season, no, I don't but think so. Stefanski, I think likes to use two tight ends. So I don't know if you're going to get a huge uptick for Brian next year. So I wouldn't mind seeing them a tear apart. I just think it should be closer than the way we have it right now. No, I totally agree with you. And that's a move I'm going to make the next time I go through and adjust. I think before we leave the tight end position real quick, I just wanted to point out the fact that I have George Kittle and Travis Kelsey in tears of their own. Now you have Kittle over Kelsey, just like I do but you have them grouped together in tier one. I have them separated. Um, And the reason for that, or the reason that I did it that way, is because I wanted to separate where they were in the overall player tiers, essentially. I didn't want to be taking Travis Kelsey amongst uh, Jonathan Taylor and DeAndre Swift and some of these second-tier players that I believe 
our true cornerstone assets for a multitude of years. Certainly, you're not looking well beyond three years, but in terms of Travis Kelsey versus some of those guys, I felt like there was such a bigger runway that I needed to move Kelsey out of that tier from an overall player perspective. So that's why I've got the two tiers separated. Um, but I think it's it's a distinction there to try to help you in your overall rankings, not necessarily that there's a huge, significant difference between them value-wise. Yeah, and I, I totally get that. And I when I was looking at your rankings, I was you know thinking about it a lot, and I was like, so I, I can understand why he's got them separated. They're both great. One's old, one's not very <laughs> right. old. And so I can understand why you would separate them. But also at the same time, I tell myself, if you just 12-team league – how many guys would rather have Kittle? How many guys would rather have Kelsey? It's a pretty clear divide between contenders and non-contenders, which one they would prefer. So mm-hmm. I think it's still pretty close. I mean, I would rather have Kittle because, you know, it's not like a big drop-off if they're both healthy. But I just think Kelsey's such a league winner the past three years and could continue to be so in the future. And Kittle's health could be a concern. You That's never know. the issue, yeah. So the- I, I still feel comfortable ranking them in the same tier, but I, I would also take Kittle probably a round ahead of them in startups. So I understand that, your reasoning as well. That was exactly the reason. I think we should move on to running back. Um, I'm kind of looking this over. I think maybe let's just start with Antonio Gibson. So you have him as your running back nine. I have him as my running back seven. He's a tier two player for both of us. Now, my tier two is a little bit smaller than yours. Um, but you know, this doesn't, this feels like just about right for him, for me, but I think there's going to be people taking issue with the idea of having him over JK Dobbins, Cam Akers, um, guys that we took higher in, in, in dynasty drafts that I think people would have above him sort of, you know, is it, is this an archetype thing? Is this the situation can get better? Is this what you've seen on film combination of them? What do you think here? Yeah. Maybe you've rubbed off on me too much. Um, but (laughs) Uh, no, I certainly I'm I'm kind of on the same boat with you. This is a combination of what I've seen and what I expect the future to bring. He's a player to me that just screams positive regression, if you will. I think he's yeah. going to get significantly better in year two. This is a system as well that loved Christian McCaffrey. And to me, he's very similar um, career path. I think he will take. Uh, that was a weird way to say that, but <laughs> I'm, I'm projecting the next Christian McCaffrey with some level of being wrong hedging in my rankings. So um, he could skyrocket to tier one for me, or, you know, I don't think he's going to fall much lower than tier three or four. If he just doesn't quite achieve that, because he's got enough to be a pretty darn good football player. I'm, I'm very confident that his ceiling's high enough to put him here. Yeah. You mentioned uh, positive regression. I remember saying on the, uh, the awards show, uh, he had 35 receptions, I believe, for not even quite 250 yards and not even uh, not even a single touchdown. I just can't I can't process that based on what I saw on film, what I saw on film from him at Memphis, sort of our expectations of him being this more gadget hybrid wide receiver player. I mean, we sort of envisioned him in a Curtis Samuel or what the the Curtis Samuel role ended up being. That was the thought process coming into the season. So I feel like we all felt like he's got this receiving profile for him to show what he's shown between the tackles with the ball in his hands. Aside from a couple fumbles, I mean, he makes people miss. He pushes the pile. He runs over people. He knows how to score. Uh, he's a great player. Yeah, um, that's what's got me so darn optimistic is that was not the part of his game that I expected to be correct. the early con- contribution. So I, I could see so much growth here. Yep, absolutely. 
Um, I think the other guys that I wanted to bring up were Kareem Hunt and Austin Eckler. Um, I have them in tier four. You have them as tier three players. Um, they're both older prospects to me. They both feel like cells. I couldn't really get them, um, I guess, any lower than I sort of got them. I guess maybe the other guy we should talk about is Ezekiel Elliott. So pick one of those names and just kind of, you know, justify where you have them. Well, Eckler for me, I guess in standard leagues, I have them way too high. And I don't know if we ever really discussed exactly what league we're doing these rankings for. I kind of just... Okay, that's kind of what I assume, just because yep. it kind of covers all bases. But I just love his uh, archetype as well. It's kind of similar to what we just talked about. And I, I love the offense. I think it works perfectly for him. I think the production should be there for a few more years to where, yeah, I probably have him a little too high. Um, but he's just a player that I, I like quite a bit still. And I, I, I'm just going to bat for a guy that I really like. And the injuries this year were obviously very disappointing. But... I think he bounces back in a big way next year with another year out of Herbert and cream hunt. I, I probably do need to reevaluate that a little bit. Well, it's funny. I'm kind of looking at it. I think in terms of overall rank, we've got him in a pretty similar spot. You've just got him a tier higher than me. Cause it feels like your tier two and three are a little more stretched out. Um, in terms of Ezekiel, Elliott, he's a fourth tier running back for both of us. I'm not going to count out where he is for you. I know he's 21 for me and he's lower, um, in your rankings than he is in mine. Um, are we advocating advocating selling? Do you think we're lower than the consensus? Because I think if we are significantly lower than the consensus, my my recommendation is selling. But if you think we're on, on point, on mark for where we should be, then I don't know how you can sell based on what you would have had to pay to get him at the start of the year, what you could have gotten for him at the start of the year. I think you're looking for a rebound, correct? Yeah, I just counted. I'm at RB23, so we're basically in the same neighborhood. Um, it's really going to depend on your league. Um, you, If you're in a sharp league, you're not going to sell right now because no one's going to be knocking yeah. down your door. Um, so you're hoping for a rebound. Um, yeah, I if, if you're in a league where you know you got a few owners that it's probably the only league they play in, they might get enticed by the name value. Yeah, so um, you could probably... I don't know. I just don't see his value growing enough to to risk not selling him. I, I could see him falling off a cliff a hell of a lot more than I could see him bouncing back to where he was. Can I ask a question? And I know where I stand on this, um, but is this more to you about the potential that, um, you know, we've talked, could he potentially move on? They've got all kinds of cap issues that they need to work out in terms of if they're going to keep Dak Prescott long term. If they're going to keep C or uh, Amari Cooper's contract on, you know, on their team, Gallup, I believe, is uh, close to free agency. If they're going to keep some of these pieces around, along with that offensive line, something's got to go. Is this negative ranking, let's call it, for you and me? I know where I stand on this. Is this more about that factor of is he in Dallas forever, um, or you know, even into 2021, or is this more about what you've seen from a talent drop off this year? That's certain. I'd say it's a little bit of well. It's, it's always definitely a little both. bit of both. Um, Which one is it more I think of the talent drop-off is the bigger factor for yep. me. Um, I'm not even going to pr- try to pretend that I know what Jerry Jones is going to do. He's not a <laughs> rational human being. If I were running the Cowboys, Zeke would be off my team this offseason. I think Jerry um, has an affinity for Zeke, and yeah. I-, I imagine he'll be back. Yeah, I, I think you're you're exactly right, and that's, that's where I am too. It's been a talent drop-off. He's not 
Uh, the breakaway player that he was once, I don't think he can take quite the same volume he could once. And that offensive line isn't cracking holes open the same way they used to. Right. So some of those things could definitely change going into next year. And obviously getting Dak Prescott back, if he's still in Dallas, would help. Um, but I think I'm advocating still that we're we're probably lower than consensus. So you're probably waiting to hold on a one through week four, you know, week one through four big game, hopefully, that you can sell off of in 2021. Um, did you have anybody else here? Otherwise, I think the only other guy that I see that's way different is I have Daryl Henderson still pretty high. I thought you were the Daryl Henderson truther. Yeah, I think I was just disappointed when I did the <laughs> rankings that I, I'm, I'm mad at Cam Akers. Not because I don't like Cam Akers, just because I wish they hadn't drafted him. And I want to live in a world where Daryl Henderson was the bell cow winning me leagues. And it's just not that world. But um, I'm, I'm worried about his opportunity. I just, I don't know. They seem to love the bell cow role for Akers uh, when he kind of took that lead job and Daryl Henderson kind of just went away. So I'm worried that next year, I don't know how many carries he's going to get. So I got to hedge some. Yep. No, I, I, I understand. I just, I, I so believe in his talent. I think I do. I uh, definitely do. I, and I just, I really think Malcolm Brown is, is the thing that's screwing things up there. It's not that either of these players can't be great together. I think they can and will be. Um, so I feel like Daryl Henderson is a real buy, but uh, maybe I am a little bit too high on him. I think uh, I'm probably you... just too close to it. <laughs> that very well could be. And that's, hey, that's part of it. Uh, you want to eliminate those blind spots if you can. But like I said with, with Justin Herbert, I feel like, you know, as managers, we do sometimes overcorrect. And that's why the, a process like oh, this is sure. worth going through. Um, because you sort of, you see at the end of it where it's like, mm, maybe I'm overcorrecting there or maybe I'm underselling something that we've seen. So, um, I think you should slide us over to tight end here, or um, excuse me, wide receiver, and then we'll. Yeah, get I mean, out. we could do tight end again if you want. I, <laughs> no, well, I love uh, tight ends, but yeah, wide receiver. Um, I think I've become a bigger Brandon Ayuk fan than you. Apparently, <laughs> um, you're the guy that's been raving about him forever, and I have him wide receiver twelve. You have him wide receiver fourteen. So what the hell, man? So are you asking me why I hate Brandon Ayuk? Yeah, why do you hate Brandon Ayuk? For Brandon Ayuk all off season. Uh, yeah, I just, I guess, you know, Terry McLaurin's a guy that I still have above him that I know you don't, that I think, um, he's in the conversation at the very least. Um, DJ Moore is a guy that you don't have above him that I feel like, you know, there's a pretty wide gap in terms of DJ Moore truthers to those who just sort of feel like he's more of an average player than people let on. Um, I am not in that camp. I think he's an exceptionally good player. Um, but yeah, I think you're just, I know you're just teasing me on Brandon Ayuk. We both love Brandon Ayuk, but oh. now I'm going to just have to move. You're going to just force me to keep up with the Jeffersons and just move him up now because I have to, I have to continue <laughs> to be the highest on Brandon Ayuk. You're right. Um, I'm just going to keep moving him until he's your wide receiver one. Um, see how stubborn you can be, but yeah, we definitely do differ some on DJ Moore, and I, I'm, I can't even really quite put my finger on it. Cause I like him. Um, I just think when you look at tier three and tier four of wide receiver, mm-hmm. there's so many different ways you could cut cut it up. Like it, it's a such a deep position right now, and um, I don't dislike DJ Moore at all. And I, I I I'm certainly low on him for whatever reason, but there's just so many guys in this range that I love, and yeah, I just couldn't rank them above. Is well, really it, what it came down to. And I think what you said w- was really important. There's so many different ways. 
Um, I don't want to use a, a bad euphemism here. So I'll just say there's a lot of different ways that you can you can be successful drafting wide receivers. I see you have Allen Robinson much higher than I do. You have Amari Cooper much higher than I do. Um, I think when you when you compare him to a guy like DJ Moore, I, I do feel more confident about the production I'm getting uh, immediately out of those two players. I just think that there's the potential for a top four season in DJ Moore, a top four uh, overall wide receiver season in him. Um, that's sort of what gets me there. Again, this is half point PPR. I'm always more of an advocate of, of big plays, guys that can, can create big plays. And, and I think he's that type of player. And again, uh, just to talk about biases, he comes out of my second favorite school behind, uh, Sky Uma, Minnesota, uh, and that's Maryland. So, and I saw they got a huge, huge prospect this week. I don't quite know, know enough about him to to give you a bunch of stats. Strangely enough, my background viewing right now is Maryland getting crushed by Iowa in college basketball. <laughs> and I almost never watch college basketball. So weird yeah. you brought up Maryland. But uh well, go Terps. And I just kind of was thinking here, like here's three and four at wide receiver right now. I almost think we need to break them down differently, like tier three A and tier three B. Tier three A are the young guys yeah. for the non-contenders tier three B. These are the guys you want. If you're a contender, these are the guys that are established that are still great. Um, Cause yeah, Allen Robinson, I have in tier three DJ Moore I have in tier four, but are there league situations where I would take DJ Moore above Allen Robinson? Absolutely. Right. So why do I have him in different tiers? I don't know. Maybe yes. my tier three needs to be way bigger. I, See, I just, that's, that's, I feel like, where I did make more of a declaration here. Because my Tier 3, like I said, Terry McLaurin is the one guy that I'm considering moving out, and it's because he's already 25 years old. He's an older prospect. Essentially, that tier is, you've shown me uh, incredible age-adjusted production, I guess with the exception of Jerry Judy, and maybe that's a conversation we need to have, too. I think we're probably still much, much higher on Jerry Judy than the rest of the league is. And, and you know, what I just said, age-adjusted production, that's true about T. Higgins, Brandon Ayuk, Chase Claypool, Terry McLaurin, Calvin Ridley, DJ Moore, and Chris Godwin. I feel like for the age of players when they broke out, um, it's been in such a meaningful way that they do ascend over a few of these older names that um, are further down my list. Jerry Judy maybe doesn't belong in this in this group the more I'm really talking about it and just thinking, you know, it's great to rank and just sort of sit here and stare at the sheet, but as we talk this out, um, that is a name that I'm sort of thinking about. What do you think about that? Yeah, I can't answer anything about Jerry Judy. I, I'm going to recuse myself here. <laughs> I, I love you're him. too close to. Yeah. I, no, I, I believe in him still. Um, but yeah, I'm, I don't know. But his production doesn't match. I mean, it, I know you're, you're, you've got different players around him, but just looking at the group that I have him with, he does not really match up in that sense with those players. Those players have all shown us, you know, infinitely more production right away. And you can make Drew Locke excuses and do this and do that about why things are the way they are, but it just doesn't quite match up when I'm looking at I think at a lot of his flaws are extremely fixable. Um, yeah. I think his quarterback situation is about as bad as it gets. Production isn't every. I mean, it, it means obviously everything in fantasy, but for a rookie, like, I don't see anything that leads me to believe he can't still be great. So sure. I, I'm probably irrational, but I I would still bet a lot of money that Jerry Judy's gonna be near the top of this wide receiver class a few years from now when we're yep. ranking it then. And the other thing I'll say is I really like where you've got Darnell Mooney. Um, Thank you. 
I, I don't think, remember. <laughs> I think it's it's uh, it takes a, a little bit of guts to have him ahead of a few of the rookies that you've got him ahead of. He's ahead of Ragger for you. I'm He's not afraid to make declarations with this. Like I've dropped Henry Ruggs down a lot. I, I just don't that. believe in it. I I've yeah. seen I I've made up my mind, and I'll probably be wrong on a lot of this stuff, but. I think it's more useful in a way for us to let our biases show. Sure. Sure. Well, and I, I think to know us. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's important to note, I think you're watching a lot more college film than you, than you have in previous years at this point. I know you're writing uh, some rookie profiles for the site here coming up. Um, we're doing, we're both kind of doing some of that stuff. So you're watching a little more. I think in terms of Henry Ruggs, I just watched so much good tape in Alabama um, and I get it's it's Alabama playing against basically whoever Alabama plays against. It's like they're playing, you know, Little Sisters of the Poor or Southern Mississippi or whoever. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's hard for me to get away from Henry Ruggs when I watched so much uh, of him excelling and him doing things that are just you just don't see players do and, and a skill set you don't see from players. I feel like so you don't have that lens necessarily where you're just evaluating what you've seen in Vegas and I'm right. with you, man. It's been it's been rough. He's not looked good this year. I, I'm not gonna argue with you. Fair enough. And yeah, I if I had watched probably twenty five Alabama games with him, <laughs> I don't even know if he played that many games there, but probably yeah, not, I'd, no. I'd maybe feel similarly to how I feel about Judy, because Judy was always my preferred Bama wide receiver, obviously. Same. But um yeah, I, I I had no irrational bias towards him because I was kind of fading him from the start. So maybe this is like confirmation bias in a way where yeah. I didn't like him that much going into this year. So now that I see him struggling, I'm just going to keep pushing him. So sure. that could be a blind spot for me too, like the inverse way of Judy where maybe I'm too stubborn. I don't know. I'm too close to it to really know. No, I think that's a great place to cut it off. I, I, I feel really good about uh, kind of going through some of this, some of the processes that we're able to kind of, explore and actually you know just the process of talking it out with you i think has led me to okay now i gotta go move this guy or i gotta go um you know kind of adjust this tier or move it up or down um i think that was that was a lot of fun and uh before we get out of here um i'm at dynasty oasis on twitter please follow me newts is at nasty newts on twitter um please leave a five-star rating and review of the show um, if you, if you liked it, please subscribe, uh, Newts, get us out of here on a happy birthday. Uh, great one today. Uh, all time bangers of movies, Nicholas Cage. He's in some great movies. He's in some just God awful movies, but <laughs> he's always entertaining. So happy birthday, Nicholas Cage, 57 years young. Uh, don't get attacked by bees today. Wow. Nick's only 57. Yeah, I would have thought I, I he was had, a lot older than that. I, I would have had no clue what to guess if you had asked me how old he is. So favorite Nick Cage movie. What is it? <sighs> Answer first. I got gone in 60 seconds, but that's because I probably haven't seen the whole catalog in Nick. Yeah, I'm going to go with Con Air. Uh, it's oh, not yeah, a Con great Air. movie, but I love it so much. And it's one of those when you're flipping channels, if yeah. it's on, you watch the rest of the movie. So, yeah, Con Air probably the one I've Cyrus the, the Virus is pretty awesome in that movie. You're right. That's, that's a really good one. I, I forgot all about that. Right on. Well, uh, have a good week, folks, and we'll talk to you uh, Monday. Yeah, make sure you join us on Monday for the uh, the Mock Draft Madness and uh, enjoy the playoff matchups this weekend. Peace out. Later.